This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Sasha Wosley, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you, Cheryl. It's lovely to be here. Sasha was born and raised in Perth. She completed a PhD in feminist literature at Murdoch University and went on to work as a copywriter on topics ranging from mind safety to sex therapy. Quite diverse, I would say. Sasha is passionate about levelling the playing field for members of the community experiencing disadvantage. She is an ambassador for the Books in Homes Australia charity, which provides books of choice for children in disadvantaged circumstances to keep in their home libraries. Her latest novel, Snapshots from Home, draws on the true stories of Australians during World War I, following a woman who takes part in a comfort scheme to send photos of home to the troops on the front lines. That is just heart-wrenching, isn't it, that whole premise? It is. It was one of those things that once I stumbled across it, I just couldn't get it out of my head because the YMCA and a whole bunch of other charities during World War One and Two ran a whole lot of comfort schemes, which were just designed to give the soldiers some kind of home comfort. That's literally what they were about. And they did this to stave off a malady that they referred to as heart hunger, which that one really wrenches at mm. the heart too, doesn't it? Just mm. missing home, forgetting what you're there for, you know, just trying to hang on to that memory of why are we doing this awful, awful thing? Mm. It just must be really, I mean, you know, when you think about all the awful jobs in the world, it's got to be one of the worst. And also the duration and, and the, the horror that you're experiencing. But you're right. Like, you know, why am I here? What am I doing? It's really, how did you come across that? How did you come across this woman? It's a bit of a goofy story, actually. Um, So during COVID lockdown, everyone was watching a lot of television and we were watching things that we weren't necessarily always watching. So sitting there of a Sunday afternoon, an antiques roadshow comes on. So I'm there with the whole family and we're all watching it. And this woman comes along. They're at the University of Birmingham. And that is actually where the YMCA archival collection is held. And this woman brought in a beautiful old scrapbook that her aunt had made. And it was from World War II. And she was one of the photographers in the Snapshots from Home League. And she'd done a scrapbook of um, all the photos that she had taken. So she'd actually developed extra copies so she could keep them. And then she'd put in it the little cards that the soldiers had written down what they wanted and where their address was. And then any thank you letters that she received from the soldiers, she also stuck in there. And I just thought, wow, that is a book right there. But I was I was actually more interested in writing about the World War One era. And so I looked it up and found out it had operated during both World Wars and had started in World War One and that it had operated in WA. 
So um, that was really exciting. And I thought, you know, what an amazing original idea. I looked it up and checked if anyone else had ever written anything about this scheme and nobody had. So I just grabbed onto the idea and started writing. And then funnily enough, uh, one week before the book came out, a Facebook friend messaged me and said, oh, um, I've just read a book about the snapshots from Home League. And I said, no, that's impossible because no one else has written anything about it. And she said, yes, yes, I have. Um, here, have a look at Sandy Docker's Red Gum River Retreat. And I had a look and sure enough, Sandy Docker had written about the snapshots from Home League, um, a totally different take on it. She's written a more contemporary story with um, with reference to World War Two, And one of her characters was one of the volunteers there. Uh, and when I went kind of looking online to find out more about this, I discovered that Sandy Docker had been inspired by an episode of Antiques Roadshow that she watched in 2020. <laughs> oh, my God. And have you two spoken? We have, yeah. At first I was like, oh, I hope she's not angry. But her book came out before mine, about one month before. And then I messaged her and I said, you won't believe this, but we've both written about the same thing. And she replied and said, I have noticed your book and I was going to reach out to you. And she said, it's so funny that across different sides of the country we we're both watching one show and both had an idea for a book, wrote completely different books. And uh, she thinks that we probably need to get together and have a bit of a Facebook live conversation or something about it because it's just such a great story. I love that story. That is fantastic. I think you should do that. Uh, okay, so it's uh, it's one thing having an idea. I mean, you know, in my day-to-day -day life, I often see things and I think, oh, that'd make a good story. But of course, I never write them. <laughs> so <laughs> tell me how that went from a great idea into a book. Well, luckily, or around the same time, a new residency came up and I applied for it. It was through the National Trust of Western Australia. And what you got to do was go and sit in one of their National Trust properties and just work on your book. And wow. there happened to be one near me that I applied for, which was Woodbridge House. And it's got quite a lot of history. It's an important kind of stately home in WA's history. The family were uh, big movers and shakers in the early settlement days of WA. They were in Guildford, which is the oldest kind of um, town in WA in terms of settlement of the Swan River Colony. And uh, two of their sons went off and died in First World War at Gallipoli. In fact, the Peter Weir movie Gallipoli mm -hmm. is based at least loosely in the, on those boys because one of them was known as a real sportsman and very fast. And in fact, the two boys decided when they when they were in the trenches and they were about to go up over the over the um, top and run for their lives. They said to each other, let's just run like the blazers and see if we can make it. And they did. They both ran hard and they both got shot down and killed. It was a really tragic story. Um, so sitting in that house and kind of learning about those boys and the family was so brilliant for my writing process. I was able to have access to the letters that they wrote home to find out the way they spoke. You know, that kind of information mm. is just absolutely invaluable for an author. Mm. They were... They were using words that I didn't expect. It was a much more modern way of speaking than I expected it to be in 1917, um, although they were writing in 1915, but, you know, not much difference there. And um, just also finding out about the story of how the poor family heard about the deaths of the boys, which was kind of secondhand information. They didn't first hear about it from official quarters. They mm -hmm. actually heard a rumour 
that um that their sons had been killed and then a couple of days later they got the official telegrams and um, really... i'd imagine that that would have happened a lot that yeah 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 i mean you know and getting it really information hit home about... for me because i just thought that is so poignant mm. i our family lost um one of its sons and i'll tell you about him shortly but um it just really kind of made it real and then I wrote that into the book. So Edie's brother at the beginning of the book is already dead. She lost him about a year ago. It was in a similar situation, a battle of Lone Pine. And they hear it as a rumour. And her father's reaction is very strange because he's he's a bit of a control freak. So when he hears about this, he just completely denies it. No, it's not true. What a bunch of clowns they are at the uh, the war office. And, and I won't believe it. You know, your brother will turn up. He's like a bad penny. He always turns up. And, of course, he's gone and um, Edie has to accept that and, and life becomes even worse for her because her father is quite a tyrant. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about your path to writing um, and to writing fiction. I want to talk about, firstly, um, <clears throat> how it is you got to your PhD and writing on feminist literature. Tell me that path. Well, when I left school, I knew that um, things didn't seem fair in the world and I could see that it wasn't fair for women. I could see that it wasn't fair for people without much money, of whom I was one, mm-hmm. um, of both of those things. And I kind of flitted around from university to university for a while, trying to find the course that I wanted to do. Um, I really didn't fit in at what was then the most elite university in WA. I didn't realise that most of the kids there had come from private schools and, and wealthy backgrounds, and I couldn't work out why I didn't fit in. I just knew that I was around peg in a square hole. And... Eventually, I found a really good course about literature and culture, and we, I started reading stuff by the feminists, first first wave, second wave, and third wave, and then also um, stuff about socialism and Marxism and all of that stuff. And all of it all started to kind of slot together in my head, and I started to work out why there is this systemic disadvantage for certain people. And that led into a kind of passion for um, women's literature and and looking at feminism in in everyday life. And my thesis was actually about that. It was about how we do feminism in the everyday world and whether or not that counts, you know, how people kind of gatekeep feminism a little bit and why people don't want to identify as feminists. So that was where my... It's uh, so true, isn't it? Why is it seen as a polarising word? I, I want to know that. What, what do, why do you think it is? I think that um, there's a couple of things going on. Uh, it is kind of gatekept. So it's if you're not writing high academic feminism, then you're not writing real feminism. So commercial feminism is not really seen as the, as that, uh, which you, you see recently in the Barbie movie coming out. That's really quite, I think, quite abstract level, really uh, interrogative feminism. And there was there's been a huge backlash against it from all different quarters. And even from some people who identify as feminists. I guess the other thing is that if if you're not kind of out like burning your bra and, and carrying placards, you also weren't seen as doing proper feminism. If you're just living your everyday life and kind of doing little forms of resistance like most of us do, that's not seen as feminism. So I think there's a couple of things going on. Women might decide that, okay, I'm not a feminist because I can't I just can't see myself as one of those people going out there and marching or um helping women get into abortion clinics or anything like that. I, I don't deserve the title of feminist because I don't do enough. And then there's the other 
um, side of it. Whereas, no, 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 I don't hate men. I'm not. I'm not that kind of person. So there's a, a there's a lot of misunderstanding about what feminism is. I mean, I even had to explain to one of my own children that it doesn't mean you think you deserve more than anybody else. It just means that you think you deserve the same rights as people in positions of privilege like And it's not, you know, it's not like that or the other. It's just being up there just like everybody else. It's extraordinary. Do you know, you might have a view on this, Sasha. You know, with our Better Reading community, we've spoken to a lot of writers and and mainly commercial fiction writers. I mean, we've spoken to everybody, but we we speak a lot and the community loves to read commercial fiction. And a lot of that... You know, we've given a platform to women and women writers and a lot of those books now, particularly the historical fiction books, are giving voice to women in the past, women that weren't spoken about, women that were wives, women that were daughters. And, you know, I mean, Anna Funder's done that with George Orwell's wife in in her new book, and I'm not saying that that's, you know, historical fiction. It's not. But it's really interesting to me that we're at a time now where that's happening and again people don't want to use that word feminist or they don't want to even that word can't be lent out to commercial fiction yeah isn't that interesting do you think it's that? I would call that a feminist practice so giving voice to previously silenced women's voices and I think just looking at little forms of resistance that were practiced by women in the past really does build a much better picture of of how far we've come as women in society and looking back at our um, ancestors and saying, how were things? I mean, my own grandmother, I love this story. She came from the little town of York, which is where my book is actually set. And um, it's a little wheat belt town. It's a very old town. It's the oldest inland town. It's very pretty, but it's also quite traditional. And she was the first woman, young woman in her town with her friend, to wear a pantsuit. Mm. <laughs> and she walked down the high street in a pantsuit to the to the shocked murmurs of the other towns. Like, mm. And just little acts of resistance like that. I think they just need to come out because they, they're like a patchwork quilt of, of history. And, uh, you know, until you've got them all there, you're not getting the whole picture. History wasn't always created in public spaces, like in big public forums. There were a whole bunch of little private resistances going on as well. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
So you completed your PhD and you went on to work as a copywriter, mind safety to sex therapy. Tell me how we got from mind therapy to sex therapy. <laughs> uh, mind safety, sorry, to sex therapy. <laughs> what was that path? <laughs> well, um, WA, it was boom time in the mining industry, so pretty much 80% of my work was coming from mining services companies. They were all trying to get online. They were all trying to, they were all being publicly listed and having to do annual reports for the first time. So I was kind of in there on the, <laughs> on the ground level trying to write all this stuff. But then it was also uh, an age where all kinds of businesses were getting online. They had gone for as long as they could without having websites and or having dinky little old websites. And they suddenly realized they needed proper ones. So I was then um, the go-to girl for just writing everyone's copy. And the weirdest thing I think I ever got asked to write was there was a client that I had been writing copy about um, beautiful homes because they were like a high-end real estate agency. And he contacted me. I was actually on a camping holiday with my kids. It was like December the 20th or something like that. And he phoned me and I ignored his call the first couple of times, but then he just kept calling. Finally, I picked up and I said, oh, I'm actually, I'm not available at the moment. He said, oh, I was just wondering if you could do this little job for me. My mum just died and I need to write her eulogy. <laughs> Whoa. I was like, um, Whoa. you know what? I, I don't feel confident doing that. I didn't know your mum. I'm not in a situation where I can easily sit down and write a whole bunch of notes or fond stories from her. So. Yeah, maybe ask someone else in the family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or that he perhaps didn't give you a draft and just say, can you check that for yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. might have been doable. Even then, I don't think I even had my computer with me. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I get that. <laughs> um, talk to me about your work in helping the disadvantaged. You know, what is it and where did that come from? Well, it was one of these accidental things that I just stumbled into, which happens a lot in my life. I had just had my first Australian title out, Dear Banjo, and a friend who lived on the same street as me contacted me and said, um, my my friend runs this, or she works for a charity called Books in Homes, and she desperately needs someone to talk on ABC WA radio about the charity. And I said, yeah, but I don't know anything about it. And she said, yeah, but you're an author and you care about kids' literacy, right? And I said, yeah, obviously. So she said, okay, just, you know, do a bit of reading on it, talk to Gillian O'Shaughnessy about it, and then, um, you know, then we'll get you involved. So I did that. I, I did a bit of homework really quickly, and I talked to Julie, who worked at the Books in Homes, and she gave me lots of cheat notes, and that went really well. And then she contacted me again. She said, look, do you want to be a role model? Because we've got all these author role models, and we don't have many in WA, and it'd be great if we could get you on board. We've actually got a school at the moment who are getting their books and we need someone to go out and, and give out the books at, at the assembly. So that's when I kind of found out what it was. And essentially what they do is they they have identified that there is a problem with children not having home libraries, particularly kids who come from low socioeconomic backgrounds or um, kind of new immigrant refugee backgrounds, Indigenous and Aboriginal uh, families sometimes have less books in their homes as well. These are kind of all things that they have established from research. And they have also established that one of the biggest markers of future success in life is having books at home. So what they've done is developed these catalogues of curated books 
that go out to these disadvantaged schools and the kids get to browse through the books and have a look. They send out a book pack as well. They have a look at all the books and they get to choose about three books per term. And those books are funded by other people. So it's like Scholastic Book Club, basically. Mm. But you don't have to pay. Your parents don't have to pay. It's funded by a sponsor. The beauty of this is two things. One, they get to keep the books. So mm. they, they're kicking around at home. They get to pick them up and reread them. Um, younger siblings read them. Parents read them to the kids and so on. And the second thing is these are books of choice for the kids. So there are a whole bunch of charities out there doing amazing things. But a lot of the time, the kids are actually not interested in the books they're given. Mm. Whereas if they're given a choice of things like Minecraft, Roblox, Fortnite, Barbie, um, My Little Pony, you know, things that uh, they have an int- others, other interest in, then they're able to go home and they're really engaged in reading the book. So it's not something. But, I mean, that's what adults do as well. I mean, you walk into a bookshop and it's got 1,000 books and you meander and come out with three. And if I did that and you did that, we'd come out with completely different books. Exactly, yeah. Mm. So that's the magic of books in homes is that they they let the kids choose. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really key. Um, and do you, you're still working there? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm a role model but then I actually did a bit of a trip I was doing some research in remote Kimberley, WA, and I went out as kind of the ambassador for Books in Homes and talked to a bunch of principals in some of these remote schools just to try and get them back on board. Sometimes when a sponsor leaves, then it's a bit tricky and there's a bit of a limbo period where we're trying to find a sponsor. So I went out and talked to the principals and said, how did you find the program? Do you want to get back on it? And have you got any ideas about potential sponsors? So I just kind of hmm. did a fact-finding mission and then sent that all back to HQ and they are the ones who are now kind of working on getting schools back on board. So that was amazing also seeing in real life what it mm. is like working and um, living in remote communities and the mm. kinds of kinds of disadvantage that they have to face every day. Mm-mm. Okay, so how do you fit in all the writing? Oh, at the moment I'm not. <laughs> how do you fit in your day job? um yeah that's supposed to be like the main thing I do but I would say that for the last couple of months it has not been I've been doing a lot of teaching but I've also been doing a lot of because I'm also a kids book author under a different name I've been doing a lot of book week for the last couple of weeks so I've just gone all right writing is on hiatus at the moment but I'm pretty good at meeting deadlines and once I do have to get something written I do sit down and you know focus on that Mm. All right, well, we're running out of time, but tell me a little bit about Snapshots from Home. We've touched on the subject. Yeah. So um, you know all about the scheme now where basically the um, volunteers Mm. would go out and take photos of soldiers' homes, which would then get packaged up and Mm. sent off to the boys at the front. Now, um, my main character, Edie, she's a young woman, uh, lost her brother, living with her mean dad, and uh, she's trained as a teacher, so she manages to find herself her first real job, which is out in York working in a girls' school. And it's great because she gets to escape from dad and she's living in this Miss Mason's home for respectable young ladies, uh, which is really good fun because Miss Mason is not that respectable herself. She enjoys a glass of sherry of an evening and she make, loves making beautiful clothes for the girls that live with her. So Edie's living with a couple of the young school teachers and she starts doing this volunteering. So she's suddenly getting an insight into all these different kinds of homes and different walks of life. She's um, going into homes where there are people who work as servants or people who kind of live that high society life. And she's really getting a good idea of the differences in the way people live. 
she also meets this young firebrand who is working in the local photographic gallery and he kind of starts to open her eyes to some of the inequalities as well. He's a pacifist and a conscientious objector. So he's obviously got his fair share of um, being uh, treated as a bit of a pariah in the community. Mm. But uh, but he drives her out to the further away farms. And so they have a lot of arguments along the way. And then Edie starts to kind of discover things about society and about Australia. And uh, when, she, when she leaves the town, she... Um, kind of takes her new knowledge and starts to make some changes in her own life, which I think, I hope that people will find quite inspiring. Mm, mm, absolutely. Lisa, do you want to tell us what a little bit about your children's books and what is the pseudonym that you use? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, my real name is Sasha Wosley and okay. um, Better Reading Kids has has very kindly featured my books on their website and socials. So I'm Ash Harrier as my middle grade pen name. Yes. And I write mysteries with a tiny touch of paranormal in. So they're kind of spooky mysteries for middle grade readers, which is sort of nine to 13 years old. And I've got this character of Alice England, who I absolutely love. She's a bit kooky and a bit quirky. Um, if you love uh, Wednesday Adams, you'll probably enjoy Alice England. And uh, she discovers weird things about the people. She lives in a funeral home. So she discovers weird things about people who've come through the funeral home and then goes out to solve the mysteries with um, mm. with a couple of equally kooky friends. And why did you use a pseudonym? How did that all come about? I decided that I didn't want kids kind of getting me mixed up and going and picking up my adult books. Yeah. Um, but I also just, for very kind of selfish strategic reasons, <laughs> I, being a Wosley, I'm often sitting right down the bottom right-hand corner of the bookshelf in the bookshop. Yes. And I yeah. thought, you know what, I'm going to be a Harrier for a while and just sit right smack bang in the middle, <laughs> just enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good move, good move. So um, how many books in total have you written? I've got 16 books out in the world now. And oh, I, and wow. Next year I'll have um, 17 uh, when my third ch- children's title comes out. I've got the children's books are actually coming out in the US next year as well. Oh, congratulations. Then, thank you. And the following year my next adult book will come out. Yeah, wow. Gosh. Okay, Sasha, thank you so much for your time today. Um, Really interesting conversation. The book is called Snapshots from Home. Thank you so much for having me. It was a delight. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.